It's pretty clear that the President of the United States resists facts. The public is going to suffer if politicization of science is normalized. We cannot allow that to happen. If science is not able to inform policy decisions, we will always. On this episode of the American Scientist Podcast, defending science and scientific integrity in the age of Trump. I'm Robert Frederick. At the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science this past month, the Union of Concerned Scientists invited a panel of speakers to talk about how to address the uncertainty about science's role in our federal government and the consequences of political interference. Louis Branscombe was one of the five panelists. Now a visiting scholar at the University of California, San Diego, Branscombe has advised four presidents. But having an audience with an overflowing, standing-room-only group of scientists, journalists, and conference participants seemed to catch him off guard. This community needs to, to get its energy. The energy is right here in this room. Look at it. We've never had a meeting like this. <laughs> Hundreds were in the room, many more in an overflow room, and thousands more viewed online watching the session from Sweden, New Zealand, Nicaragua, South Africa, responding in real time on Facebook to some searing rhetoric from the panel, including from Branscombe. You'll find a great many of the leading Republicans are very nervous about where all this is going to lead. If there's a chance of having strong friends anywhere in the conservative community, then don't put them in the pot uh, with everything else we plan to cook. <laughs> What's the reason for stoking the cooking fire in the first place? Gretchen Goldman is the research director for the Union of Concerned Scientists Center for Science and Democracy. So we've come a long way on scientific integrity. Under the George W. Bush administration, we saw science politicized like never before. But now, the government has many safeguards in place to protect scientific integrity and to protect scientists from politicization of their work. Scientists in our government now have rights to communicate and rights to conduct their research free of political interference. We can't afford to roll back these gains. But now, these safeguards are under threat. The public is going to suffer if politicization of science is normalized. We cannot allow that to happen. If science is not able to inform policy decisions, we will always. Also at risk is the loss of funds for R&D, research and development, says John Holdren, former director of the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. Uh, I'm particularly worried about uh, R&D at the uh, Department of Energy, where uh, some may survive, but clean energy and energy efficiency are likely to be slashed. I'm worried, of course, about uh, the EPA, all the more uh, after Mr. Pruitt's confirmation. Uh, I am worried about the Food and Drug Administration uh, in its regulatory authorities. Uh, I'm worried about the National Science Foundation, which, uh, along with the NIH, is our biggest funder of fundamental research. And while uh, maybe important programs at NIH will survive because they address the diseases that afflict members of Congress and their families, the, uh, 
The funding at the NSF uh, is certainly even more at risk. Uh, we already knew that many members of Congress don't understand that basic research is the seed corn from which all future applied uh, advances will come. Uh, basic research has been under fire at NSF for a long time, uh, and that uh, trend is unfortunately likely to be accentuated. Other things uh, at risk. After enumerating many concerns, the panel then began to focus on what to do about them or how to go about defending science and scientific integrity in the age of Trump. Jane Lubchenco of Oregon State University is the former director of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. For those of us that live in the academic world, we need to pay a little more attention to our structures and reward systems in academia and change the culture of academia so that it is more valued and rewarded for scientists to be engaged with society. Lubchenko says the purpose of that engagement is to help the public understand what science does for them. Part of the reason that we're in the pickle that we are uh, is that not enough people really uh, appreciate and value science. And I think uh, that's partly on us to help fix. We know that it's important, but not everybody else does. And it's not enough to just say, trust me, I know. We need to do a better job in multiple ways of showing why it is relevant, showing why it's important, showing what it does for people. So I think now is the time for a quantum leap into relevance. The panel agreed that to make such a quantum leap certainly means more engagement with decision makers, particularly those in Congress. If ever there was a time for the scientific community to be engaged on policy, it is now. Again, Gretchen Goldman of the Union of Concerned Scientists. We need to spotlight misinformation when we see it, uh, when websites get deleted, uh, other, other things we need to call that out. And we need to hold these decision makers accountable, and we need to support each other in the scientific community when our fellow scientists choose to speak up and especially if they become political targets themselves, as we've seen happen in the past. But beyond restructuring academia to reward scientists to engage with society and showing people what science does for them, beyond engaging with decision makers and supporting fellow scientists, Lewis Branscombe says there's a need also to offer scientists, especially young scientists, new programs. In which people are trained for at least one year in the combination of how new companies are created, how innovations are done, protecting uh, innovations or selling them, all of that needs to be stronger. And I believe that if it were, it might not be that the White House uh, would say, wonderful, we, that's what we're gonna do, but at least they might stop anti-doing it. <laughs> and if so, that would be real better progress than what we are feared might happen. So this is an area in which I think the community could be more effective itself if it were institutionally structured in a collaborative mode uh, with the value to the public and to the country in mind. It will also take thinking differently about how to talk with non-scientists about science. Talking differently, says Amy Lowers, She's the director of the climate change program at the Skoll Global Threats Fund and says scientists principally should be listening and responding, not broadcasting facts, 
not even broadcasting strong science stories, but having conversations with non-scientists. In the digital age, you know, where we have social media and the filter bubbles of Facebook and Google, all voices get um, equal airtime, and that, therefore science voices and the expert, other expert voices get um, either drowned out or often filtered out and just not even heard. And so as a result, we as a scientific community need to adjust our, um, our means of science communication and public engagement, where we, don't, we move beyond broadcasting facts and even move beyond broadcasting really strong stories to joining conversations with our fellow non-citizens who are non-scientists and looking for opportunities for creating opportunities where they can start conversations with us. That's because when it comes to persuading elected officials, says Andrew Rosenberg, constituents are more influential than scientists who are not also the elected officials' constituents. Rosenberg, who moderated the panel, is the director of the Center for Science and Democracy at the Union of Concerned Scientists. A constituent's voice to their elected representative in your state or in your district or in your city is always much more powerful than somebody flying in from no matter what their expertise is. And so use your power as a constituent and as a scientist. So the more constituents, scientists or not, who are arguing from a position of science, the more power to persuade elected officials to use science in making policy decisions. In other words, whether you're a scientist or not, says Gretchen Goldman, We need you. Uh, <laughs> we, need, uh, we now more than ever need non-scientists to help articulate science and its benefits and uh, the tremendous role that it plays in uh, making America already great. Uh, so I think that's um, going to be really important as we move forward. The panel also praised the efforts of individual states in these United States of America and their support of science. They also were encouraged by stories of scientists interested in running for political office and were optimistic, given the strong international network of scientists, about the opportunities to tap into the philanthropic community and private sectors to keep science projects going. But the panel stressed that the federal government is in the best position to enable scientific projects that address the entire nation. Under this administration, we've seen so far that... Again, Gretchen Goldman. The, that President Trump isn't, uh, isn't going to respect science or respect scientists. Uh, right out of the gate, we saw gag orders placed on federal agency communications. Uh, we saw halts on grants and contracts and hiring freezes. And we've seen scientific information start to disappear from government websites. All of which helped to prompt a march for science. Full disclosure, American Scientist publisher Sigma Xi, a nonpartisan and non-political honor society, announced its partnership with and its support for the March for Science on February 3rd. The march itself takes place on April 22nd. Prior to that date, says Amy Lowers of the Skoll Global Threats Fund, Everybody finds an opportunity to say to the general public, to your community, why you're marching. One op one uh, uh, opportunity would be to write an, um, an op-ed to your local newspaper and, and tell them, this is why we're um, marching. I'm marching because I believe in science, I believe in facts, I believe in data to protect my children, to protect my community, and for the prosperity of our country. And I think if we can control that from the bottom up, then uh, it will be a really important uh, march. That's because one narrative about the March for Science that's out there 
is that scientists are marching because they're concerned about their funding drying up, says Lewis Branscombe. A great many people think the scientists are sitting up there getting money to do something they enjoy doing that none of us understand and what they want is more money. Don't let them think that's what we want on Medical 22. Um, I just add one more suggestion to that, and that is to encourage people who aren't scientists to march as well. Again, Jane Lubchenco. Because this is a march for and about science. It's not a march of scientists. All those kinds of things. And have it be a celebration of science and focus on why science is important, not just assert it is. Why is it important to you? All those, I think, are key elements. Every scientist is going to the march and bring along two non-scientist citizens. Again, John Holdred. Uh, and I think this should be true uh, of uh, the speeches from the uh, podium as well. Uh, and particularly bringing along citizens uh, who at least in part are representative of individuals who have been helped by science, whose lives have been made uh, better in uh, important and easily communicated ways uh, by science. I think that would go a long way toward alleviating the danger that this is an elitist group uh, isolated from the real needs of society. In the end, panel moderator Andrew Rosenberg summed up the session this way. When you pair up uh, a factless president with a post-Citizens United Congress that is uh, more and more in the grip of special interests, and a populace that is increasingly confused about what is true and what's not, and has lost confidence in the institutions that we've all relied on in our lives to help us sort out fact from fiction. So this is a unique threat, and I have to say I agree completely with Jane Luchenko that scientists need to make a quantum leap into relevance to deal with that threat. You've been listening to a podcast from American Scientist Magazine, published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society. Visit us online at americanscientist.org. I'm Robert Frederick. Thanks for joining us.